life than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot think of a better way to spend my time. I cannot think of a, a greater purpose that could ever be bestowed upon any individual than to advance His kingdom, to be tasked with the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege that we have tonight in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. He's here tonight. And we are about to entreat Him to call out on His name. Amen. Let's call on His name believing, trusting, understanding that He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords and that all things are possible with Him. Amen. What a hope we have in Jesus. Whatever it is we have need of tonight, it can be met in Him tonight. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a glorious Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. You are the One that sits upon the throne. You are the Lord of glory. You are the Lord of hosts. Jesus is Your name. We worship You. We praise You. We laud and we magnify You. We heap glory and honor unto You, Thou Most High God. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've afforded us this evening to enter into the presence of the Almighty, the very throne room of God. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would avail ourselves of the opportunity You've given us tonight to not take it lightly, to not esteem it lightly. I pray, Lord, that we would press in to the presence of God, that we would strive to enter in, to touch You, to hear Your voice. Amen. To receive of You Your good things tonight. I pray, Lord, that a spirit of revelation would fall upon this congregation tonight, that we would receive revelation of truth as to who You are, that we would receive revelation, Thou Most High God, and that once received, we would own it, that we would take action upon it. Hallelujah, Jesus! That we would be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. And I pray, Lord, above all else, that Your great, Your glorious, Your mighty name would be glorified in our midst here this evening. With one heart, with one mind, we, we bind together as one body, and we enter into the presence of Almighty God. And our eyes and our hearts and our ears are turned to You, affixed to You, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on high, who sits on the throne all by Himself. We, re- we give You all glory. We give You all honor. It's Yours to receive. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship and we praise You tonight, and we thank You for all that we're about to receive. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve tonight. What an awesome opportunity we've been given tonight to receive again from Him. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Amen. In our lesson on Sunday morning, uh, I alluded a few times to the fact that that, uh, Jesus is Lord. And that if He is Lord in one area of my life, He's got to be Lord in every area of my life. And I want to expound on that tonight, uh, such as the Lord gives me time and ability to do so. Uh, That He is Lord in every area of my life. And there are areas in our lives that perhaps we don't consider a whole lot. Areas of our lives that maybe we haven't really truly thought about submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's possible. John 13.13 says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. So Jesus Himself testifies to the fact that He is indeed Lord. He is indeed Master. Now, there are a couple connotations to the the term Lord. We've talked about one in, in past messages, that of provision. But in this message tonight, I want to expound on the idea that because He is Lord, He is the lawgiver. He is the one that determines my boundaries. He is the one that determines where I can operate and where, if I pass that boundary, I am, I'm, I'm on, I'm, I'm already all worked up. 
I am unauthorized to pass that boundary. Why was that so hard? <laughs> unauthorized to speak. <laughs> I am unauthorized past a certain point. Within those boundaries, I'm free to operate. I'm free. I have freedom within those boundaries. But when my Lord says, you can come here and no further, then that's what that means. It doesn't mean that I can come this far in certain situations. It doesn't mean that if I talk to the Lord real nice and get special permission, maybe He'll let me pass that boundary. Maybe He'll let me sin that one time, but it's for a good reason. No. God doesn't do that. He is the lawgiver. And when He sets a boundary, it's set. And I have to obey if He's Lord. If He's the Lord of my life, I have to, I have to commit myself to that. I have to allow Him, I have to give Him permission, the authority to tell me what to do. I have to give Him the authority to tell me what I ought and what I ought not do. Period. I don't have that authority anymore if He's Lord of my life. And that means He's Lord of every area of my life. The world would have us to believe that Jesus, well, He's, he's just a good teacher. He's a good man. They want to put Him at the same table as Confucius or Buddha or any one of the moral philosophers throughout history. And if Jesus minds His manners and He's a, he's a good boy, then we'll accept Him. We'll accept Him at this table. Well, folks, the Jesus we find revealed in Scripture is not like that at all. This Jesus that I see in Scripture will not, is not acceptable to our culture today. Will not ever be accepted by the world. Now understand what I mean by that. People in the world will accept Him. You and I have accepted Him. But the world system, the world at large, the world that John is talking about when he says, love not the world. That's what we're talking about. That world will never accept the precepts of Jesus Christ. It is enmity against God. He makes claims like, I am the Master. I am the Lord. In John 13, 13. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then He is Lord over all. He's Lord over the nations. Does Jesus Christ have lordship over the governments of countries? Absolutely He does. Is God sovereign? Amen. He does. He absolutely does. Daniel 2.21 says, He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He is Lord over the nations. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on a lot of these, but I just want to give some examples of different areas that He has lordship over. He has lordship over all of history. The entire timeline. Now, that's past, present, and future. He has lordship over all of it. And again, we see in the account of uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, that we have no problem with giving Him lordship of the past. And we have no problem with Him having lordship of the future. But when it comes to our present, we struggle with that. Because the present is where you and I live. That's where you and I operate. And if we're going to see anything transpire, it's going to be in the here and now. Because of that, we can believe Him for the past. We can believe Him for the future. But we struggle with the present. I don't know if He'll do it now. I don't know if He'll operate in my behalf today. But He is Lord of the present as well. He most assuredly is. He has absolute lordship 
over this present time, this day and age that we live in. All right. He's Lord over history. He's Lord over education. Now, this is an interesting aspect, isn't it? How are we to raise our children? Does God get to tell me how I should raise my children? He does. Deuteronomy 6, 5-9 through says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. There are a couple qualifications that the teacher must have according to the, to the Lord our God. God gets to tell me how to raise my children, yes? One of the qualifications is that the teacher must love the Lord their God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Another qualification is that these words which I command thee this day shall be in their heart. And then, after those qualifications are met, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, etc., etc. I'm just going to pose a question here. Have we followed this commandment? In the United States. Now again, please don't think I'm down on education. I love education. What I despise is indoctrination. I love education. I consider myself an educated man. Not formally, but informally. I do my best to educate myself daily. Primarily through the Scriptures. I think education is extremely important. But it's got to be done God's way. God gets to tell me how I am to educate. Amen. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but just to get our wheels turning. He has lordship in that area as well. He's Lord over my intellect, my reason, my thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our thought lives are extremely important. As an introvert, it's... Uh, they're often accused of living inside of their own heads. And that's true to an extent. I can go for hours just thinking about stuff. I'm driving down the road, and some of you have done this. You get to thinking about something, and your mind is wandering, and your exit is five miles back. And you're like, oh, where am I? Did I miss the exit? I did miss the exit. <clears throat> Those thoughts are important, folks. What am I thinking on? What am I spending my mental energies on? Our brains are very powerful things. For example, a simple rephrasing of something from, I can't do this, to, how can I do this? It doesn't seem like much difference there at all. But in the brain, it fires entirely different neural pathways. I can't do this. It's dead. It shuts down. I can't do it. There's no reason to dwell on it. But when you pose the question, how can I do this? It fires up. And it starts to consider, how can we get this done? It considers options, possibilities. It synergizes with different experiences and different uh, information that you have. And it can bring all that together into a 
formed solution. It's amazing what the brain can do. But those thoughts are very important. And if I let my brain start to wander into areas that it ought not wander into, like that billboard I saw passing the road, that scantily, scantily clad girl I saw on the side of the road, if I let my mind start to wander on stuff, unhindered, unchecked, undisciplined, unsubmitted, I get myself into trouble. I dwell on that, and pretty soon my body starts to kick in. And I start acting on those thoughts. Right? And then we're all done. Then we've fallen into sin. In fact, Jesus says, I've sinned already in my heart. So I must submit my mind, my thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, that's an extra step altogether. I can't just be satisfied with submitting my thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've got to have my mind transformed. I've got to have an entirely different mindset, an entirely different way of thinking, an entirely different worldview, an entirely different way of seeing things. That's what happens when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all things are made new. My mind is made new as well. God transforms my mind. The way I used to feel about things, is that's gone. I feel differently now. The things that I used to value... I think are garbage now. I have an entirely new mindset. My Lord did that for me. Our thought life has to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's Lord over our salvation. This seems like a no-brainer. But He gets to determine... How I'm saved. He makes that call. He's the Savior. I don't get to tell Him how He's going to save me. When I first came to the Lord, I was really wishing that I could. Because I know why now, but I didn't know why then. I couldn't get the Holy Ghost. I struggled with that. Listened to all kinds of tapes, read all kinds of books, talked to all kinds of people, trying to figure it out. Well, guess what? It was simple disobedience. How about that? I had sin in my life. God told me to do something, and I didn't do it. Once I did it, very next service, I got the Holy Ghost powerfully. It was easy after that. Anyway, he gets to tell me how I'm saved. He's Lord over law, over society. Again, who has the authority to tell me how I ought to live my life? We've heard of the word ethics, right? Ethics, as defined by most people, is not what we're doing, but it's what we should be doing. It's not how we li actually live our lives, but it's how we should live our lives. And that's an important distinction. Because we know what we ought to do. We know how we should live as Christians. We don't always do that. Sometimes there's a disconnect, right? So ethics isn't what I'm actually doing, it's what I should do. It's the standard. Now who has the authority to tell me what I ought to do? That's the thing. We say Jesus, and rightly so. The world says something else. And that's very easy. That's very easy to argue against. 
I mean, it's a piece of cake. Well, it's a majority rule. Well, who gave the majority the authority? Someone had to give them the authority. Is it self-attesting? Did they give it to themselves? I mean, their arguments are ludicrous. They're ridiculous when you boil it down. The only thing that ever has made sense is that the one that created everything gets to write the laws. The one that owns everything gets to make the rules. If we're living in God's house, we live under God's rules. That just makes sense. And it's scriptural. God has lordship over law. He has lordship over society. Now, what about governments? We're not going to get into governments tonight, but just posing a question. What about politics? Does he have lordship over politics? Over government? If he's lord of one thing, he's lord of all. I don't know if Jesus would be involved in politics, but I know he has lordship over governments. I know he has lordship over nations. And he gets to tell me how I ought to live my life. All right, John 14:6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the Jesus that's revealed in Scripture. He's very marginalizing. He's very divisive. He didn't come to bring peace, he said, but what? A sword. And this is what he's talking about. He is the God of peace. And it's His will that peace be established all across the world. But, they're not going to accept it. This world will not accept it. This world will not submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So there is this variance. There is this struggle. This war. Jesus is not neutral in this war. And you shouldn't be either. Romans 14.9 says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived. Why? That He might be Lord both of the dead and living. Yes, He died for your salvation. But He also died that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. In this, Jesus is claiming that because He rose from the dead... He has all authority. He's Lord of all. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In other words, Jesus is saying that He is to rule over the nations and that all nations are to be made His disciples. We are to extend His Lordship across the world. That's what it means by advancing His kingdom. There is a king in this kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are furthering His rule. Now, we're going to read a few scriptures here that one is Pentecostal sometimes circle away from. And I would encourage us tonight, there's no reason to be scared of anything that we find in Scripture. It's all given by God. It's all inspired by God and it's all profitable. Don't shy away from the, the so-called hard Scriptures. There are, there are precious truths in there as well. Amen. Some may want to just not use them. Because then we have to explain them. Don't be like that. 
the entire Bible is awesome. Every Scripture is awesome, folks. I love each and every one of them. Okay, if we're saved, we're saved by God's grace and mercy alone. We cannot do anything of ourselves to add to our salvation. Now, we're not going to stop there, so don't worry about that. But right here, right now, Jesus is the one that saves me. And there's nothing I can do to add to that. I can't help Him out. I can't help Him to save me. Well, you just take it this far, and I'll, I'll, I'll grab the rest of it. Or I can, I can get this thing started, and then you just take me home. doesn't work like that. I can't do anything to save myself. I can't. Well, you've got to make a decision. Yeah, I've got to make a decision. I've got to give Him permission, all of that. But He's the one that gives me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Okay, so I can't even claim that. So I got nothing left. Jesus is the one that takes me the entire distance. He's the one that sought me out. I didn't seek Him out. I thought I did. I thought I was searching for Him. But He was the one that was searching for me. He was the one calling me. He's the one that saved me. The entire process was all Him. In fact, in a lot of areas, He did it despite myself. Despite what I was doing. He saved me anyway. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. His long-suffering patience. But just establishing the fact that there is absolutely nothing that I can do to aid God or to add in any way to my salvation. Okay. Now if I acknowledge Jesus is my Savior, Jesus saved me, I also must acknowledge Him as my Lord. We've heard the phrase, everyone wants a Savior, nobody wants a Lord. I didn't do a a detailed search on this, but just a a perfunctory uh, search on it. I couldn't find anywhere where it said anything other than Lord and Savior. Lord seems to always come first. I don't know of anywhere... I could be wrong, correct me if that's not the case, but I don't recall any, any place where it says Savior and Lord. It's always Lord and Savior. I've got to acknowledge Him as my Lord if I am to acknowledge Him as my Savior. Acts 16.31 says, They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe on who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? And believe what? Believe that He existed? Believe He's an actual historical figure? No. Believe what? Believe what He said. Believe what He came to deliver. The Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. And thou shalt be saved. And not just a test with my mouth but demonstrate my faith through action. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, who? The Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Again, I've got to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. I've got to give Him the authority to tell me what to do. I have got to be utterly and completely submitted to His Lordship in every area of my life if He is to be my Savior. In other words, Paul is saying here that you cannot have the cross of Christ without also having the crown of Christ. We have to accept both. Confess with my mouth. What does that mean? Confess that He's a historical figure. I attest to the fact that he lived. He's a real person. No. When when the Bible says confess with my mouth, it's like my verbal confession when I went to the altar with my beautiful bride. I confessed with my mouth that I was going to love her and serve her till death do us part. That's what it's talking about. 
By my confession, I'm entering into a covenant relationship with Him. By the confession of my mouth, I am accepting the terms of the covenant. I am submitting myself to His Lordship. (laughs) We all know He was a historical figure. Atheists know He was a historical figure. That doesn't save anybody. Someday, everyone will acknowledge this fact. Philippians 2.11 says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody, at one point in time, is going to confess with their mouth, but by then it will be too late, that Jesus Christ is Lord. First Corinthians 12.3 says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so here we see no one can submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ, not truly, not completely, without the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. This is kind of a roundabout way of saying that without the Holy Ghost, we can't really be saved, can we? We we understand that from the front end. This is kind of a back-end approach. According to Romans 8 and 9, if we have not the Spirit of Christ, we're not His. We have not and cannot submit ourselves to His Lordship without the enabling power of the Spirit of God. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll read the first nine verses. This is a powerful chapter, folks. Awesome chapter. This is the one that finally got me to submit myself. Because I was scared to death. Jesus was coming, and I wasn't ready. Now, that's a powerful motivation. Obviously, I couldn't stay there. I didn't stay there. I'm not afraid of hell anymore. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus now. Amen. Romans 8, 1 through 9. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're going to see this a lot in this chapter. A differentiation between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, now we're getting into the good parts here. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It cannot be subject to the law of God. Not in and of itself. It is enmity against God. We are by nature children of wrath. That's why I can't do anything to help God save me. Verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 9 says, We can only be in the Spirit, we can only live and walk in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in me. I need the Holy Ghost. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I am not in a covenant relationship with God. I am not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ without it. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost. Amen. Galatians 5.16, continuing on with that thought. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When the Spirit of God resides in us, we are empowered to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. And the lust of the flesh will be continually frustrated. Now notice that it doesn't say, 
and the lust of the flesh will disappear. It doesn't say that. It says you'll not fulfill them. They're going to be there anyway. They're still going to be there. From time to time, they're going to come knocking at your door. But if you're walking and living in the Spirit, you will not fulfill them. You will choose something else. You'll choose to please Jesus Christ and submit yourself to His Lordship in that area and every area of your life. 1 Corinthians 16.22 If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be an anathema marathana. Maranathana. I've been pronouncing that wrong my whole life. Maranatha? Still pronouncing it wrong my whole life. See, I learn something new every day. I love it. (laughs) I love it. We must not only acknowledge Him as Lord, we must also love Him as our Lord. It's the difference between grudgingly, grumblingly, complainingly, all right, fine. You get to call the shots, whatever. Versus, I want you to call the shots. I need you to call the shots. Thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord in my life. There's a big difference there. Giving in the offering plate grudgingly versus giving tearfully and willingly. Didn't we learn a little bit ago our motives matter? The reason why we do something matters. We can do the right things for the wrong reason. When I'm submitting myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's not because He finally beat me down into submission and... Sister Parker told me the difference to this. Between submission and surrender. I thought this was excellent. She probably beat Brother Parker to it. But in any case, <laughs> in any case, surrender is, is what the POWs did in World War II. But they were, they were always told, frustrate the enemy. Do everything you can to disrupt them. And, and if you can, escape. That's surrender. Submission is something different entirely. And I thought that was powerful. Submission is, I am here willingly. I'm here by choice. I am choosing to submit myself to your Lordship. I'm not here to escape. I'm not here looking for a way out. I'm here looking for a way in. Amen. That's awesome. I am submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ willingly, gladly, lovingly. I love that He's Lord and Savior. I love that He has the Lordship in my life. I love that He tells me right from wrong. And He directs my paths. And He saves me every day. And He provides all my needs. I'm so thankful that He's my Lord and Savior. Praise God. Acts 10 and 36 says, The Word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Peter calls Jesus Lord of all here. Revelation 17 and 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. John calls Him the Lord of lords, the highest Lord. There's no higher than that. There has got to be one above all, and it's Jesus Christ. There's nothing higher than Him. No one higher or greater than Him. He is the pinnacle. He's the end stone. He's the cap. However you want to say it. There is no higher. There is no greater than Him. John 20 and 28 says, And Thomas answered and said unto Him, My Lord and my God. Thomas is calling Jesus both Lord and God. And Revelation 19.16 says, And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The testimony of Jesus Himself is that He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Amen. And that's not just a title. That's His name. That's who He is. That's His essence. 
That's not something he, he climbed up to or, or attained or won. That's who he is. Now, the implications of Christ's lordship. He has all well and good, preacher. But how do we apply this? What does it look like when I'm living out my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And for that matter, you can't serve God or anything or anyone else. We can serve one and only one master. We can have only one Lord in our lives. It's going to be Jesus or it's going to be someone else or something else. 1 Corinthians 8, 4-6 through says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. There is only one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. He is the only Lord. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This God of the Old Testament who manifested Himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Lord. The Lord our God. What does this Lord require of us? Well, by definition, He requires submission to His commandments. Where's the, where's the loving Jesus? Where's the Savior Jesus? You still here? This is the same God... But understand, folks, the loving, saving God, that's not all of God that we have available to us. That's not all that's been revealed to us in Scripture. He's also our Lord. And when He tells us something, if He's our Lord, we must obey. We are required to submit ourselves to His commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 9-11 states this, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, and keepeth commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth Him, He will repay him to His face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments, and the statutes, and the judgments, which I command thee this day to do them. All right, so if God is Lord, then we've got to obey what He says. The commandments that He lays down, we must obey. If not, well, then Luke 6.46. Jesus says, Why call ye me, ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus is saying it. If I were your Lord, you would obey what I say to do. You're calling me Lord, but you're not obedient to me. That's ludicrous. That's ridiculous to call someone your Lord and then just do whatever you want to do. It's a meaningless claim. God is a jealous God. He will not permit His people to have a synchronous relationship with other religions and other philosophies. In America today, we've got this smorgasbord, fruit salad approach to religion. I'll take a little bit of this, please, and a heap and helping of that. No, pass on that. I'll take a little bit of that, too. Put it in a bowl, mix it up, and I got my religion. I got my Jesus. 
That's not the way this works, folks. You can delude yourself into thinking that all you want. But that's not how it works. And people are going to find out, sitting in front of the judgment seat of Christ, that this doesn't work. I was lied to. I was deceived. God is a jealous God. He will not permit me to go dabbling around with other gods, other religions, other philosophies. He's jealous. He wants me to have a... uh, Monogamous relationship. No open relationship here. I am committing myself to Him and He to me. When I enter into a covenant relationship with the Lord my God, that's like a wedding vow. I am going to be faithful to Him. I'm not going to be playing around with other people. I'm not going to be playing around with other religions, other philosophies. Israel did that. And what did God call them? Whore. Your whoredoms is what He called it. Why would He use a term like that? Because that's how He saw it. He was very jealous. He wanted a monogamous relationship. He wanted to dote on Israel. He wanted to bless them. But they would not. They had to go and be unfaithful. Play around with other gods. My God is a jealous God. And that doesn't mean that He's petty. And that doesn't mean that He's emotionally unstable or or, uh, immature. That's not what the Scripture is saying. He wants no synthesis with outside principles or outside authorities. He said at one point that his name is Jealous. Again, that's who he is. He's so passionate about his people. He loves his people with such a powerful, desperate love. And he will not permit, he will not tolerate any, any, anyone else coming into that relationship. He wants an exclusive relationship with you and you with him. Exodus 34, 13-15 states, But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. Again, he will not tolerate anything else coming between you and him. He loves you that much. Matthew 4.10 says, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. No one else. Him exclusively. You listen to Jesus Christ and him alone. No other voice, no other doctrine, no other commandment except Jesus's. Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33 says, You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live and that that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days of the land which ye shall possess. And Deuteronomy 4.2 says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. We are to obey all of God's precepts as He has delivered them to us. We are not permitted to alter or tamper in any way. Again, no line item veto in this covenant. It's yes or no. I take it all or I reject it all. But if I take it all, Folks, it's all applicable to me. I've got to meet every term in there if I am to submit myself to His Lordship. God is insulted when we look at Scriptures and say, Oh, this looks really good. I can, I can die on this hill. But then look at another Scripture and say, eh, 
I don't know if I agree with that. What do you mean you don't agree with it? I can speak freely. Who cares if you agree with it or not? Do it. Or get out. Don't sit on the fence, folks. Now, don't get me wrong. I want every one of us here to serve Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you're going to play that game, make a choice. You're either going to adhere to all of it or none of it. Does that make sense? We do not have the authority to tamper with His commandments in any, any way. Leviticus 18, 2-4 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. In many areas in Scripture, particularly the, the, the Pentateuch, the, the books of Moses, we see this tacked on to the end of a, a verse. I am the Lord. Or I am the Lord your God. That's not just a, a, a phraseology that, that signifies something. It's not, a, it's not a literary device or anything like that. What he's saying is, this is the reason I am the Lord. I am defining to you why I am the Lord. Because I'm the one that gives the commandment. This is what it means to be Lord. I've defined for you what it means to be the covenant God. Possibly, maybe the Apostle Paul had this idea in mind when he penned Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Stating primarily, the world doesn't set our agenda. The world doesn't give us our principles or our ethic. Nobody does that but God. I don't get my ethic from the world. I don't get my ethic from Joe Biden or from Donald Trump. I don't get my ethic from Oprah, any talk show host, any newscaster, any YouTuber. I get my ethic from Jesus Christ. And Him alone. Even if it stands against everyone else. He's right and everyone else is wrong. Don't do as the other nations round about you. You follow after my ordinances and my precepts. Now that might lend ourselves to start thinking that, well, God has just given them up to, to their gods and their lords and whatever that is and, and He's just going to focus on His people. That's not true. Is God Lord out there as well? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. The Word of God that has been delivered to us is the universal judge. The objective and absolute standard for all mankind. In Leviticus 18, Moses tells us that the land would vomit out its inhabitants. Why? Because God needed a place to put His people. Because the Canaanites broke God's commandments. That's why. God's law was applicable to them also. God was judging them based on His law. They were found guilty. So He sent His people in to execute judgment. And what did He tell Israel? If you do the acts that they did, you're going to be expelled too. One law, one Lord. It applies to everybody equally. God doesn't play different strokes for different folks. God doesn't play, well, this is a special situation. I'll overlook it this time. He doesn't play favorites. He's no respecter of persons. 
One law for everybody. And we're going to see that at the last days, aren't we? The Canaanites were just as subject to God's laws as Israel was. Revelation 20, 11 through 13 says this, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another, another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man, every man according to their works. All mankind will be judged one day by one law, the Scriptures, the law that the Lord Jesus Christ bestowed on mankind, revealed to us through His Holy Scriptures. And there will be only one judge that will mete out justice the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will judge perfect judgment. He will judge righteous judgment based on His laws, His precepts, His judgments, His commandments, His testimonies. Amen. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says this, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So how important is it that he is our Lord? How important is it that we submit ourselves to his lordship in every area of our lives? I would say very important. Now, this doesn't bode well for some people. This doesn't sit well with some uh, ideas and some personalities, probably. But I don't know what to tell you there. I don't see an exception for personalities or, or different ideas. You can choose to do it or choose not to. I pray. I pray that every one of us has already chosen that, but if not, that you would choose it tonight to submit yourself in every area, every area of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Does He get to tell me where to live? Does He get to tell me what job to, to work at? Does He get to tell me where to spend my money? <laughs> my money? He has lordship over every area of our lives. There is no aspect, there is no area of my life that He doesn't get to tell me what to do. I'm very thankful that He is my Lord and Savior tonight. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, I am so thankful tonight that You are not only my Savior, but You are also my Lord. You have the authority in my life to lead and guide, to direct, to say yes and no. You have the authority to tell me what to do, where to go, how to spend, what to spend. You have authority in every area of my life. I acknowledge it freely. I acknowledge it thankfully, gladly that you will have lordship in every area of my life. I pray in Jesus' name that we would search ourselves tonight, Lord Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God would allow, be allowed free access in us to search us out, to search out our motives, our, our thoughts, to see if there be any area of our lives where we have not yet submitted ourselves to you. I pray in Jesus' name. And if those are revealed, that we would submit ourselves to You in those areas as well. That You would have the preeminence.
that You would have the Lordship over all of us, over every aspect of our lives. I pray, Lord, that You would bless Your people, minister unto their every need, bring us back to the house of God at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.